glad this is a good singing church. You know, there are some churches you go in and you're not real sure about the tune and the, you know, a little off key maybe, but we've got a lot of good singers in this church and I'm thankful uh, for that, just hearing us praise the Lord. And I don't know, something about standing up front and just hearing all the voices coming toward the front. So it's a joy. I want to say a special welcome to our Bethel sister church uh, from the country. I understand they have a camping weekend, and so we have a lot of non-campers with us today uh, who are here joining us in our worship. So we want to say a special welcome to you, and we trust you will feel uh, at home here. Today I'm picking up, uh, last Sunday we had an awesome baptism service. If you were not here, I would highly encourage you to go out online and watch our service and hear the testimonies. Uh, they were powerful testimonies, and that's, not, that's just not even given credit how wonderful it was. So please go out and avail yourselves of those testimonies of God's stories of redemption in people's lives. And then two weeks ago, we uh, uh, started this thing on biblical masculinity, and uh, I was going to move to femininity, but I felt like, nope, there's still more I need to say. And so we are going to do part two of biblical masculinity today. And just to uh, bring uh, all of you up to speed, since some of you were not here, I'm just going to quickly go through the five qualities of biblical masculinity we talked about a couple weeks ago. And then we're going to move into three pursuits for biblical masculinity. The first thing that we talked about was the fact that God's glory is magnified when men live the way God intended. This is good for both sermons because this is really the crux of the whole thing. God's glory is magnified when people, men, live the way God intended. And that's why we choose biblical masculinity to magnify the glory of God. Five qualities of biblical masculinity. I'm not going to have time to rehearse the whole thing, but quality number one was a God-centered mindset. We saw that Jesus came to do the will of the Father. Quality number two, genuine love for God and others. And of course, we see all of these in the life of Christ. Number three, exercises courage and confidence. Jesus did that, overturning the money changers' table and various things that he did. Number four, demonstrates conscientiousness in his responsibilities. And number five, possesses a humble spirit. So these were the five that we looked at. Now, as we move on today to talk about a little bit more of this whole thing, uh, we want to look at three pursuits of a biblically masculine man. As I told you, if you go to the dictionary... And you look at masculinity, you get a very vague, ambiguous definition. <laughs> it, there's not hardly anything there about the qualities and characteristics of being a male. It's like, okay, that really settles it. And so we really need to have a better picture of that. And um, some of you will remember back in the 70s, especially the CB radio era. How many of you remember that? The CB radios. My brother was big into CB radios. And we went to a Christian school uh, several miles out of town, and he would get on that CB radio. His handle was Jaguar. And I still remember him on there talking to the truckers, and, you know, KJZ8792, you got the Jaguar on the side. 
You know, that's how he, you know, did his thing. And he was on there just talking with the truckers and trying to impress, I'm sure, myself and my sister. And uh, so while he's doing that, he's going down the road and he goes, hey, how about a southbounder out there on Route 76? And the trucker came on and said, uh, somebody tell that idiot out there that 76 doesn't run north and south. <laughs> and so kind of blew his uh, thing out of the water. He forgot what road he was on and 76 runs east and west. Uh, but when you turn that CB on, I think more than 50% of what comes through the airwaves is noise, honestly. I mean, you turn on, you get just <laughs> all this static, you know, and beeping and buzzing, and, and you hear a voice, and then when you get to a certain section of road, when you get out of their frequency, then you get another station bleeding into that station, right? And you get two different voices, and you don't even know what message is really trying to be communicated. That reminds me of mass, biblical masculinity and masculinity in our world. We get all these voices clamoring and there's a bunch of noise and nobody really knows what they're talking about. And so we don't really understand what biblical masculinity is. And so that's why we looked at those five qualities and that's why we're going to look at these three pursuits of a biblically masculine man. Uh, some of you may know the name Vadi Bauckham. Uh He's an African-American, I believe he's a pastor. And he said that masculinity in our world is defined by three B's. And I like this, and they're not the right B's, but that's how our world defines it. By three B's. The ball field, the billfold, and the bedroom. And our performance with those three areas is how many people define masculinity. And he's saying, no, that's not really how it's defined at all. But yet we tend to look that way. Well, let's look at three pursuits of a biblically masculine man. The first one is to pursue God's call to holiness. You know, we live in a sin-cursed, broken world, but God has called us, especially as men, to pursue the call to holiness. We're all called to it. And here's what he says in 1 Thessalonians 4. For this is the will of God. He's saying this is what God wants. This is what God desires in our life. Your sanctification a big $12 word, but the basic word of sanctification means holiness. That's what it means. To be set apart from sin, devoted to God, completely devoted to God. Your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. That's the first thing he lists. Why? Because it's the biggest sin in our culture. It is the biggest sin. It's a greater sin than alcohol, I believe. When you look at the numbers, and we don't even know all the statistics, but the sexually transmitted diseases and all the things that are coming into our world today. So he says, abstain from sexual immorality. That's any sexual relationship outside the marriage bond between a man and a woman. That each of you... Each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. There's that word holiness again. 
not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. He's saying the Gentiles are pagans, they're heathens, that's why they live the way they live. Don't live like that. You have been sanctified if you have been justified by God. Justified means we are in this right relationship with God. We've been declared righteous and God has put within me the seeds of obedience to want to obey the Lord. And not only the seeds of obedience, but the seeds of wanting to be like Christ comes when I am justified. Justification is regeneration. It's the beginning point. Sanctification is the growth that we grow in Christ-likeness. So he says, don't live in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. Because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. And here's where so many people think, well, because God hasn't avenged himself today or tomorrow or next week, that he's just letting everything slide. You're fooled. (laughs) He's taken notice of everything. He's the avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us to impurity but in holiness. There's that word again. So three times, sanctification, holiness, holiness. God has called men to pursue holiness. If we are going to be biblically masculine men, we will do so when we pursue holiness. The holiness of God. In Jeremiah 9, 3, this whole idea of not knowing God comes actually from the Old Testament. He talks about the Gentiles who do not know God. Look here, Jeremiah 9, 3. They bend their tongue like a bow. Falsehood and not truth has grown strong in the land. For they proceed from evil to evil. Now why? Watch. They do not know me, declares the Lord. Just like the Gentiles. Who do not know the Lord. When we don't know the Lord, we move into a life of deceit and deception. And that deceit and deception will lead to the dishonoring, listen carefully, that deceit and deception will move to the dishonoring of our bodies. It absolutely will. That's what happens. They do not know me. They embrace falsehood and not truth. They live a deceitful life. But here's the worst part. They don't not only lie to others, but worse, they lie to themselves. This lack of knowledge causes the anger of God to be stirred. Jeremiah wanted God to pour out his wrath on these nations that swayed and influenced the Jews to engage in idolatry. This lifestyle dishonors God, and when we dishonor God, it is not long before we dishonor our bodies. Let me show you. In Romans chapter 1, therefore, when there became futile in their thinking, the Bible says in Romans 1, darkened in their understanding, therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. That's what happens with a lack of knowledge of God. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And what does that all come out of? Works with a debased mind. 
And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. A debased mind is a mind filled with dirt and impurity. It's the idea of metal that has not been purified. Metal that is not purified and has impurities and it is no good. And he's saying a life full of impurities loses its value. But yet God still died for that person. So dishonor is connected to deceit. And deceit is there because of shame and we do things in secret. And yet 1 Corinthians chapter 6, 19 and 20 says what? That our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And as the temple of the Holy Spirit, he says, Therefore, honor God in your body. Honor God in your body. Because it belongs to him. That's where the Holy Spirit resides, is in this temple. And so what I do with this temple matters to God greatly. And it should matter to us as well. So this whole idea of sanctification, of being set apart, the Holy Spirit is setting man apart unto salvation, transferring him into the ranks of the redeemed, but also enabling him to be holy even as God is holy. It is the Spirit of God at work in us to do that. Look here at this verse, 2 Thessalonians 2.13, But we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, beloved by the Lord, because God chose you as the firstfruits to be saved through what? Sanctification, how? By the Spirit and belief in the truth. So as I expose myself to the Word of God and the Spirit speaks to me through the Word of God, I'm changed. I can't stay the same. I can't live like a pagan and a heathen. I will become a biblically masculine man. And he's writing to believers in Thessalonica who were new Christians and who were, their were divorce was rampant and all kind of evil was going on And that's why he writes to them. The Westminster Shorter Catechism in question 35 in regard to sanctification says this. Listen to this. Sanctification is the work of God's free grace whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die unto sin and to live unto righteousness. The whole idea of sanctification is I die more and more to sin, and my heart is awakened more and more to righteousness and holiness. There is an ongoing transformation of holiness going on inside of me. And this relational sanctification is the idea of being set apart for God flows from the cross where God through Christ purchased our redemption. Regeneration is birth. Sanctification is growth. And God gives us his strength to overcome the enemy. The only way to exercise biblical masculinity is by putting off sin and growing in holiness. Biblical masculinity is committed to getting rid of selfishness, anger, pride, 
laziness, lying, and combating lust. The biblical masculine man will have five goals in holiness. Let me give them to you quickly. Five goals in holiness for a biblically masculine man. Number one, morality. He wants a pure life. He wants to honor God in his body to be a biblically masculine man. Secondly, honesty. He tells the truth. He's a man of integrity. He does not practice deceit. He's not one way in private and another way in public. Some people have two personas. They have a private persona and a public persona. And sometimes they're diametrically opposite. When nobody's watching, they're one way, and when everybody's watching, they're another way. But this man, who is biblically masculine, wants to be honest. Thirdly, gentleness. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. You're not brash. You're not a bull in a china shop. You're not trying to intimidate people. You're not trying to control people. You're gentle. It's not your agenda. It's God's agenda. It's God's plan. Gentleness. Four. There's Matthew eleven twenty nine. There he talks about strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Their gentleness is how you can be at peace with everyone. For a controlled tongue. A controlled tongue. They do not speak in judgment to people or about people. They don't use profanity to impress people with their manly vocabulary. They do not easily fly off the handle when something doesn't go right to be a biblically masculine man. Five, he walks in truth. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus Christ. His son cleanses us from all sin. And he tells us in this passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 that we should be sanctified, avoid sexual immorality, and each should learn to control his own body in a way that is holy and honorable. This is someone who practices self-control. Practice self-control. Self-discipline in mind and body, in work and in play. He keeps his body in check. A person who is undisciplined in mind and body leads to corruption and destruction. What do you think about? What do you feast your eyes on? What do you talk about? Where do your hands and feet lead you? What about your emotions? Are you led by your emotions? Or are you led by your decisions? His passions are surrendered to the control of the Holy Spirit. Well, let's look at the second pursuit. The second pursuit of a biblically masculine man is he will provide for his family. Why? He loves his family. He's a sacrificer. He's a server. He's a giver. He's a lover of his wife and children. He wants to provide for them. He engages in God-honoring labor. God put Adam in the garden to work it and to care for it, and he did not give the same command to Eve. He gave it to Adam. 
He said, Adam, I'm putting you in the garden to care for it. It's not 50-50. It's not, Adam, you do half and she does half. No, Adam, you, that's your responsibility. I'm going to give you a helper. She doesn't have the same responsibility. You're the biblically masculine man. You work and provide for your family. Garden work is hard work. It's not for the slothful or the lazy. He put him in the garden to work it and care for it. And I, I, you know, I never put in a garden until we moved here. It's hard work. I just have a small one. You got to pull the weeds all the time. And I don't know why the weeds grow better than the plants. Why is that? I don't fertilize the weeds. But anyhow, that's the way it seems to work. It's hard work. Here's what he reminds us of in Proverbs. Go to the ant. That little tiny thing that crawls along the ground. Why? Because consider her ways and be wise. Without her having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in the summer. She works hard. She's industrious, a hard worker. The ant. And gathers her food and harvest. Make hay while the sun is shining. Be a hard worker. Don't be a workaholic, but be a hard worker. Be a God-honoring worker. He goes on, how long will you lie there, O sluggard? Ladies, don't marry someone who won't get out of bed. That's not a biblically masculine man who won't get up and work and who's lazy. Dads, protect your daughters from that. When will you arise from your sleep? And poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Pursuit number three. Protect his family. He will protect his family. In 2003, Hurricane Isabel slammed into the east coast of the United States, killing 16 people and cut power to six million homes. This hurricane went through Washington, D.C., and it prompted the president and members of Congress to find safer quarters. But that was not the case at the Arlington Cemetery, where guards stood vigil at the tomb of the unknowns, just as they had done since July 1st, 1937. When the hurricane hit, the soldiers stayed at their post, even though they were given permission to seek shelter. That's what a soldier does. That's what a biblically masculine man does, is he protects his family from the storm. He stands firm. Dennis Rainey shared this story And he said, as a friend told him, if these men can stand guard over the dead, how much more important is it that I stand guard over the living, my wife and my children? Vadi Bauckham said, your daughters need to be protected from unqualified, lazy men. I would highly encourage the men in our church, if you have a daughter or a granddaughter, or even for your sons for that matter, a book that I would recommend to you 
is by Vadi Bakum what he must be if he wants to marry my daughter. <laughs> this is what he must be. And he gives a whole outline of that, and some of these I'm going to share with you. But he shares a story in there, and he said, Would you give your keys to a 16 year old snotty nosed boy when you own a brand new 6.5 liter, 12 cylinder, all wheel drive, $354,000 Lamborghini? And say, hand him the keys and say, go for a ride, bring it back without a scratch. Chances are, you'd be like, no way. Why do we do it with our daughters? Give them to a 16-year-old boy who has no more experience. His passions are running wild. No accountability. And you let them be isolated. Alone. It's an accident waiting to happen. We need to protect our children. It's vital that we do that. Here's what it said in Deuteronomy, that if men or, or if women were caught in immorality, they were stoned to death in the Old Testament. Like, wow. Yeah, they were stoned to death. Uh, remember the woman in the New Testament was caught in adultery and Jesus said let him that was out sin cast the first stone we see the introduction of grace but it's still sin Jesus told her to go and sin no more that's what he told her go and sin no more Maybe I don't have these on. I guess I don't have this on here, but um, protect your children's purity. This comes out of the book, um, What He Must Be If He Wants to Marry My Daughter. Protect your children's hearts. Don't just assume that your children are doing well. Talk to them. Talk to them about these matters. Do they understand if they're a little boy? You know, somebody said one time, and I don't remember if it was true at Kathy, I think he was the first one I heard say it, the owner of Chick-fil-A. He said it is much easier to build boys than it is to repair men. Think about that. It's easier to build boys than it is to repair men. Protect your children's hearts. Protect your children's focus. You got daughters, don't let them just read all the romance novels. Get them into God's word. Talk about how they should be treated, what they should be looking for in a man. If they were to select a mate from out of your friends of influence, your, the people you surround yourself with, would that be a good thing? It's a good question to ask yourself. Am I surrounding myself with the right people? Or are my kids interacting with the right people? It's vital. Protect your children's hope. Because I'll tell you what, when they stand for God and they're pursuing holiness, it can be discouraging. They can come home and, oh, everyone else is using language. Everyone else saw that movie. Everyone else is... And you know what? You just tell them, you just stand true. God is faithful. He's going to provide in his way and in his time. 
you give them that hope that comes from the Lord. You can't find a godly man, build one. (laughs) Go out with that young man, invest in him so he can become worthy. John Stuart Mill said this. Oh, maybe I don't have this on here. I thought I did. I guess I don't. Let me back up and I'll get that. John Stuart Mill said, Men are men before they are lawyers or physicians or merchants or manufacturers. And if you make them capable and sensible men, they will make themselves capable and sensible lawyers or physicians. And here is Stuart Scott's... Oop, I'm the wrong way here. Stuart Scott's um, definition of biblical masculinity. The possession and pursuit of redeemed perspective and character enhanced by qualities consistent with the distinguishing male roles of leading, loving, protecting, and providing all for the glory of God. The possession and pursuit of redeemed perspective and character enhanced by qualities consistent with the distinguishing male roles of leading, loving, protecting, and providing all for the glory of God. Hence, God's glory is magnified when men live the way God intended. Let's bow together for a word of prayer. I would just ask you in the quietness of this moment, this message was very pointed toward boys and men. It doesn't exempt the ladies, though. God desires holiness in all of us. But the men are the leaders. God has made that clear. He put man in the garden to be the leader, to be the head of the home. He says about headship in Ephesians chapter 5 that the man is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the man. This culture is screaming for some biblically masculine men who will put away the toys. (laughs) And as the Bible says, when I became a man, I put away childish ways. We need to do that. We need to stand up and be men by our example who will take initiative in the home and be that leader that God has called us to be. If God has called men to be a leader, every man has the potential to be a leader of his family. We're called to it. God doesn't call us to something we cannot do. Maybe it's not your personality, but you can grow in sanctification. You can grow in leadership. There's so many books out there and talks that you can listen to on leadership. Do it. Take it upon you. Be involved in the lives of your children. Don't just let them go. Be involved. Ask questions. Protect them. 
Maybe you're here today and you have not avoided immorality. It is eating you alive and you don't even know it because that's the way deceit works. Would you bring that to the Lord and to the cross? Jesus died for you. He shed his blood so that we could be forgiven. You see, the whole purpose of the cross is because you and I, apart from the cross, are sinful people who will do sinful things, who will do wicked things, unless we are redeemed by the power of the gospel, unless we are regenerated by the power of God's spirit within us. And that's why it's so important that we understand the sin and the brokenness so we understand that we need to be a recipient of grace. So we can become sanctified by the Spirit of God in us to lead our families in the way that would honor the Lord. If you're here today, maybe you're a young person, are you hearing the voice of God or are you going to close the door again? I plead with you. Sin will take you further than you want to go. It will keep you longer than you want to stay and it will cost you more than you want to pay. If you could sit down with me across from the table and talk to men, you would understand my heart. Be the leader of your family. Be that priest who will preach to his family and lead them. If you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and I say know him as your Savior, here it talks about the Gentiles who did not know God. Do you know him personally? Not are you in church, not do you go to Christian school, not do you know God personally? Maybe you've been here for years. Maybe you're a grandparent. And your private persona is different than your public persona. Maybe nobody else knows, but we do know that one does. The one who is omniscient. Would you bring him that secret? Would you bring him that sin? Would you confess it to the Lord? This is your opportunity to come clean and be the person, the man of God God wants you to be. Or maybe you're here and you're a woman and your life is not pure. I would tell you to confess that to the Lord and turn a, run away from that sin and embrace holiness. That's what God has called us to. you've enjoyed today's message if you would like to know more about bethesda church you can check us out on the web by going to our website which is bethesdamb.org that's bethesda m as in mary b as in boy.org or check us out on facebook by searching for bethesda church of Huron. have a blessed day